I'll jump on in. All right, first topic, Instagram. Um, so it's funny, my, my buddy Gabriel mentioned this, like at the same day that I was thinking about Instagram's UX, um, and his tweet was, am I the only one that thinks Instagram's UX sucks? <laughs> and so I've been, um, I've been starting to use Instagram a little bit more. I, I'm super late to the Instagram game. And so I've been trying to get used to it. And I'm like, I find the UX confusing. And I'm thinking about it from like a UX uh, perspective. And I'm also thinking about it just as a user. And um, it's funny because whenever you're talking about is UX good or bad, it, it, it's, it's of course is subjective, but you can always objectively look if, if an app is as wildly successful as Instagram is, you have to objectively say that the UX is good to a certain extent, even if you feel confused by it or whatever. Um, so, uh, so as I'm using it, I'm thinking to myself like, well, I guess I'm just old, you know, I guess I'm just old. That's why like, I don't get this. Uh, and, and specifically one piece of functionality that I think is super interesting from a UX perspective is, and I'm just pull this up on the screen is the way they do uh, carousels. So one of the main features of Instagram posts is you can post multiple images to a, a post and then they give you these dots and you can, you can swipe through the carousel. And, um, what's crazy about this is like in terms of you, in terms of bad UX, like the carousel is like the canonical bad UX, right? It's something that as web designers we think is cool, but as users, you know, it hides so much of the content. You got to swipe through it. It's generally better to just put the content right there on the screen. So people don't miss it. A lot of times people don't know there's a carousel there, whatever. So whenever you look at, whenever you look at like a talk or a blog post on what's bad UX, like carousel is like the number one thing. And yet, it's one of the foremost features of Instagram. So clearly, uh, it's got to be working for them, right? And, you know, they have a nice implementation of it where the dots are subtle, but they're also easily visible. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's kind of about execution, right? You could do a carousel 99 ways that are not good. You could do it one way that actually works. And I think you have to objectively say it's working, right, for Instagram, even though it's you know, it's, it's sort of bad UX, uh, as far as, you know, what a lot of people would say. So anyways, that was, that was it on that. Uh, next up, this is a little bit more, uh, related to see if I got chats coming in. Let me just do a quick test. All right, cool. Um, Keep that open. All right, next up, the uh, payment uh, request API um, is something that ran across my radar recently. Actually, um, I believe that uh, Imagination Media was up for, uh, was one of the finalists in the um, Magento Innovation Lab. And I believe also, yeah, here we go, will be available as part of the Magento course. So the work they did is being, shout out to Ali here on the slides, um, on the stage, um, uh, is this is uh, being merged into the Magento core. Um, 
And here's a quick thing. My buddy Peter Yop um, tweeted to me on how the payment request API works. And uh, this is this is just awesome. Like from a user perspective, um, if I'm shopping on any site, I do not want to think about payment methods. I don't want to think about shipping. Um, you know, this is something I, I use on my Chipotle app, right? This is some, now I don't know if it's the exact same API, but I use a Google payment method um, on there. You can do a Google auth to authenticate them. Just click, 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 no manual inputs. Boom, you can pull in their payment methods. This is 100% the way to go. And um, this is... This is this is this is awesome to see. Uh, I think this is going to become universal for independent e-commerce merchants, um, and is um, just super powerful. I don't know what else to say about that. I'm a little distracted by my LinkedIn live stream <laughs> because it's my first day with it, and uh, it's cool to have access to it. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much it on that. Um, Payment request API. All right, next up. Next up in the program is uh, Stripe leaving San Francisco. So um, tweet here from Roland uh, Lee, uh, second most valuable U.S. startup to leave uh, San Francisco as city loses another headquarters. Um, and so <laughs> number of thoughts on this, right? Like I believe in, in, I don't remember exactly where the tweet was, but I believe, oh, here we go. Uh, tweet from Austin Allred here, uh, clarifying the reason for it. Um, 1% tax on receipts. I believe it, it, it appears. Uh, so I'm, what I'm assuming is that there's a 1% tax on receipts that the city of San Francisco is imposing. And so as a, as a payments company, their business model is to charge essentially 3% of receipts. So that's a massive amount of money. It would be more reasonable to charge them on their profits or uh, gross margin or something like that. Um, so I'm assuming that's something the city of San Francisco is imposing. So, you know, the broader, and I talked, uh, I think yesterday or the day before about the uh, California uh, proposed bill related to freelancing. And so, you know, regulation, um, taxing tends to hurt business. I mean, this is not, this is, uh, something most people are aware of. And obviously there's, there's different sides of the debate. Um, but Stripe is such an amazing company. I mean, as much as people, it's funny, as much as people tend to, as much as a lot of the big tech companies, the social media platforms sort of get a lot of, you know, hatred and, and, and criticism like Stripe is just there's just, there's hardly anything to criticize, right? They're not, you know, monetizing people's attention in weird ways. They have a, you know, they charge you to, to, to sell stuff, to make money. And, um, anyway, so, but, but one thing that, as I looked at this article, it, like they're, they're moving 10 miles South to San, South San Francisco. Like at first I was like, oh gosh, are they going to move to Austin? Please don't move to Austin. As much as I love Stripe, I, I want the explosion of people moving to Austin to slow down <laughs> now that I'm here. But anyways, I was like, where are they moving? As like, oh, they're moving 10 miles south. So they're like, on the one hand, it makes this article a little like they're not leaving San Francisco. They're moving to South San Francisco. But I guess 
I assume they're moving outside of San Francisco proper. Um, and so that, that in of itself is, is interesting. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's regulation, right? Like regulation and taxation, um, has unintended consequences. And so I guess they're not moving very far, um, which is interesting. Uh, I'm assuming they're moving to a, a, another, um, you know, ta uh, ta taxing jurisdiction to avoid the taxes, but that's super interesting. All right, next up. Next up in the program. Uh, tweet from Jason Freed. Um, out of the current 56 people who work at base camp, 33 have been with us for five plus years. Of those 33, 25 have been with us for seven plus years. Uh, and 10 have been with us for 10 plus years. So a um, lot of things to talk about here. Just uh, the numbers that just these numbers for tech are just out of control. Um, and without, without doing a, um, rigorous review of, uh, tech tenures, you know, diving into the data, I'd be willing to bet that this is the highest average, you know, tenure or median tenure of any tech company, um, in the U.S., I, I'd imagine it's got to be up there. Like people move jobs every two years, every three years. I see that a lot, um, and this is just incredibly unique. Um, and it, it, I love everything about how they do business. I, I mean, I'm just this huge fan of Jason Fried, and um, on so many levels, I've read a couple of their books, and um, it's just it's just awesome to see. So as they a uh, couple of interesting bits here related to pay that they get into in the Twitter thread here. Somebody asked, you know, how to use financial incentives for recruiting and retention. And he said, we don't offer equity or bonuses linked to an article um, on how they pay people. And they have a very it's funny that I'm surprised I hadn't seen this before or maybe I did see it and I didn't remember it. Um, because I, I do keep a pretty close eye on their stuff they put out, but they have a pretty unique model for how they pay people. Uh, they do not negotiate salaries or raises. Everyone in the same role at the same level is paid the same. So they have uh, people go from junior programmer to programmer to senior programmer to lead programmer to principal programmer, and then the same levels for designers, customer support, and ops. And so I think that's super, I think that's really cool. Like it's weird because on the one hand, I'm a big fan of negotiating your salary. I've talked about that before because it's a necessary, e I mean, I guess you could say it's a necessary evil in 99.9% .9 of the world. However, when companies are set up in this way, I think it's, it's sort of more fair overall, particularly when the, the actual rates they pay are, are competitive, which is what he gets into next. Uh, raises happen automatically once per year when we review market rates. Our target is to pay everyone at the company in the 90th percentile or the top 10% of the San Francisco market rates. Interesting, the San Francisco theme is coming up multiple times here in the stream. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this is in, and I don't know offhand, I, I know the San Francisco market is insanely high. Um, I wonder if I can quickly Google this. 90th percentile San Francisco salary. Um, there's got to be a relatively quick way to pull this up from some of the salary websites. Yeah, I don't know. 
109. So whatever that number is, and I, I should be pretty easy to reverse engineer that. That is a high number. I have had people in the Bay Area trying to hire developers for 175,000 who couldn't find anybody. And I'm talking about people that could get a great job, a remote job for 100 grand, 120. So um, that those are high numbers. Um, and that's awesome that they can um, that they can afford to to do that. Um, and then they also talk about, I, I can't remember if it, yeah, they talk about stock options. They talk about, um, you know, because, you know, they, they don't give stock options cause they never intend, intend to sell the company, which is another thing I love about Basecamp. It's that they do things completely differently from sort of the standard Silicon Valley model of let's go fast, fast, fast and sell. Like, it's like, they're all about sustainability, um, sustainable growth, healthy growth. Um, and I just love it. And it, you know, I've, um, uh, I think they don't do any profit or right. do they do a profit share? I think they said they've recently put a profit growth sharing scheme in place. Um, so that's interesting, but I think, but he did say no equity or bonuses. Um, but anyway, like I, um, I just think it's interesting. Like the, the, you know, like you, you might think like, wow, you have such a high tenure. You must be incentivizing with a lot of equity. Um, and I think that what their model just goes to show, like if you pay people a fair rate with no BS, no nonsense, you know, without them having to hassle with negotiating, um, and just give them work to do that they love, you sort of can't beat that, you know? Um, which is just just so cool, man. Just I freaking love Basecamp, and I love uh, Jason Freed. And um, anyway, that's it. I think a lot of interesting nuggets in there on the topic of compensation for uh, companies to be thinking about. Hey, I got my first uh, comment in here, Kerry Kaufman. Good morning. Hey, thanks. Good morning to you too. Uh, feel free to post any questions in the. LinkedIn live chat uh, or questions, comments, uh, good mornings, or um, pretty much anything. All right, next up, um, John Hughes tweeted something. Uh, first of all, it was a response to something from Tom Robertshaw, a poll that was posted up here. Your thoughts on Magento's speed of updates and improvements, which is an important um, question. Actually, there was a number of um, interesting replies, one of which I remember was Aaron's, Aaron Sheehan. Um, and his answer was, depends on if you mean Adobe developed features or Magento EngCom, uh, community engineering fixes. Uh, EngCom has been on fire and they ship a truly stupendous amount of code regularly. Feature development has been pretty slow to materialize to the point that I've stopped reading roadmap slides at events, which is really funny. Um, and I have to say, I, I, I totally agree with Aaron, like whatever the Engcom, whatever community engineering is, is smoking <laughs> is working, right? Whatever they're, whatever it is they're doing in terms of how they're structured and whatever, uh, it's working, right? Whereas like the sort of corporate side of things, uh, is moving, uh, slowly. Right. And, uh, and so then circling back to the reply from John, this is something that I have sort of thought about and said, I think like 
drop John's comment is drop it all and get full API coverage finished. Everything else can wait. I cannot say how strongly I agree with this. Like, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're, when we're talking about PWA, there's so many community initiatives with fantastic front end work. Uh, the only, you know, dependency is to have a fully, you know, if the Magento API layer is solid and more feature complete, uh, than the other e-commerce platform alternatives that, that is what will drive the PWA frameworks to, um, you know, build integrations. That'll, that is what will drive adoption. And I just, I think that that is critical. It's, it's, um, it's more in line with Magento's core capability, which is right. Building out the backend functionality of the API front end capability is a whole other, uh, capability. I talked recently about big commerce's, uh, partnership with deity. It's interesting to note that big commerce is not building their own, as far as I understand, I could I haven't researched this all too thoroughly, but they're not building their own sort of native PWA solution as much as it might make sense to do so. Um, you know, they're leveraging a third party thing and just letting them hit that API, right? Like I think for I think e-commerce platforms should focus first and foremost on their APIs because that's going to enable so many other uh, things. That's going to enable. Uh, the community to go nuts on so many for so many different directions, order management to PWAs to da 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 da. Um, literally everything else can wait. So I just I just agree with John so much on this. I think it was a great point. Um, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. All right, got a couple couple comments rolling in here. Uh, Medi, bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> My wife is a big French, uh, big fan of French. By the way, Damien agreed. Yeah. Shout out to Damien, by the way, Red Singer, who's also building an, another great example of somebody building um, a, a, P, uh, a front end, I believe a PWA, the uh, correct me, Damien here. Um, it's the um, your thing is I, I want to say Angular uh, front end. Um, if you want to link that up to me, I'll pull it up real quick. But, um, but yeah, so next up. $5 million fund for WordPress businesses. Pull this up here real quick. Um, okay, so tweet from uh, Corey Miller. A $5 million fund for acquiring WordPress businesses. My interview with uh, Mike Demo. Is that his real name? Twitter username MP Mike of web ventures. And then, uh, there's more details in here. I really didn't look at this article too closely other than, um, just that there's a $5 million fund for investing in WordPress businesses. Um, I think, I guess it's web ventures, um, $5 million fund for acquiring, investing in WordPress businesses. And I don't even know exactly what is meant by WordPress businesses, whether these are, WordPress plugins, um, or, um, other things. Um, I did just get a reply from Damien on the previous topic. So I want to pop that in. The lag here is a little tricky. Um, Oliver, when you're cutting this video up, you can cut this part out cause this is relevant to the last topic, but, uh, Damien's project is daffodil from gray core. So you can check that out. It's another, it's another, uh, front end PWA thing. Okay back to the WordPress thing. So, um, 
um, um, um, um, WordPress business. Yeah. So I don't know if this is again, WordPress plugins specifically or businesses building on WordPress. But the point is, I think this is really smart. I think this is awesome. And I'm like, how in the world does this not exist for Magento, right? A lot of money in the Magento ecosystem, a lot of, uh, uh, opportunity for innovation. Um, I, I talked about the innovation lab earlier, um, on the, uh, earlier on the stream. And, uh, that's a, that's obviously a, an, uh, that's an, that's a great initiative to, uh, to drive innovation, but how about an actual fund, right? Like let's get some, let's put some money, uh, where our collective mouths are. And, um, anyways, so I think that'd be cool. And then, and then I got a little, uh, Guido replied to me and then I got a little excited and I posted a follow-up tweet where I said, Hey Magento, if you commit a million bucks, I can probably raise another 4 million. <laughs> we could do this. And then afterwards I was like, man, I don't know. I might've signed up to bite off more than I can chew because that's probably a lot of work to manage all that. But if nothing else, I think that I'd love to spread the word about that type of thing and chime in on, uh, which initiatives I thought were worth funding. Uh, but there's so much money in our ecosystem. Like how can there not be a fund for this? You know, like the, like Adobe has super deep pockets, Obviously, Adobe's investing, and there's a lot of investment into the ecosystem. I mean, I talked about community engineering earlier. That's a that's a massive investment um, into the ecosystem. But I'd love to see a fund for, uh, you know, basically extensions to be developed on top of Magento. Um, and uh, I think that you could. There's already a lot of stuff happening, but you could, I think, push the gas, hit the gas pedal on that um, by uh, by putting together a fund. Um, Comment from Carrie. Uh, so I walked away from WordPress and didn't look back. So I haven't paid much attention since. Is WordPress still a hot ticket item? Uh, so great question. So I am actually not too closely dialed into the WordPress ecosystem, but I do remember hearing recently that, uh, what's the company? Automatic, the sort of commercial arm of WordPress was valued at a billion dollars or acquired or what, what, what happened there? Something happened with, um, yeah, automatic was, uh, so I'm not too, I'm not too educated on this topic. Um, you know, a lot of us in the Magento community like to sort of poke fun at WordPress and, you know, you know, it's not very object. The code base is not very object oriented. You know, there's lots of, pro I mean, so there, there's issues there um, and whatnot. And I'm not too dialed in. I know people that are really connected into the WordPress community. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, this in and of itself is an interesting indicator of the fact that there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, and I think one thing actually that he said specifically, you know, this is an example of how hot the WordPress ecosystem is for investment. The fact that there's a, a fund there. So I think that that is, uh, I think that's interesting. All right, last up is uh, this new um, product I ran into called Mesa, um, which my buddy uh, Aaron um, Aaron Wadler over at Shotpad uh, mentioned to me. Um, I've been looking at um, automation stuff lately. I've been looking at Zapier, Integromat, Airtable. I've been looking at a lot of no-code tools, and he mentioned that uh, they built this. 
it's sort of a um, it's sort of a it's sort of like a Zapier type of thing for uh, integration with um, integration with uh, Shopify uh, specifically optimized for Shopify plus um, and optimized for high volume merchants on Shopify plus um, utilizes plus only APIs. So Shopify plus is, is, you know, seeing tremendous growth right now. I, I know tons of solutions partners that have dipped into the Shopify plus world. Um, and one of the, one of the limitations you do here is that, well, Magento is more powerful in terms of if you need to, if you need to do customizations, if you need to do complicated integrations. And so this is, um, I think fills that gap in the Shopify space, uh, because it gives you more ability to, you know, do complex integrations, workflows, that kind of a thing with things like Salesforce, SAP, right? These are all, these are all enterprise grade, um, you know, tools, ERPs, things like that. And so it looks like Mesa's approach is to, is not so much no code. It's sort of, it's sort of, uh, I, 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 my understanding is that everything is sort of code driven. Maybe this is like a low code. Maybe you could classify this as low code where, and I'm going to jump into some templates uh, a little bit sooner, a uh, little critique on the website here. These screenshots could be a little bit easier to see. Um, great monitoring functionality, edit and replay, right? These are the types of things you got to have when you're building, um, these types of, uh, uh, integration, um, frameworks, uh, tools, um, built for developers. So leverages VA JavaScript world widely used coding language. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm guessing it's probably powered by Lambda on the back end. I'd imagine. Um, not entirely sure though. Uh, so you really start to get the idea for what's going on when you look at the templates. So automation templates. Um, and so lots of examples here. So for example, add image colors to products as tag. I don't totally understand that. Send file to Google cloud print. I'm assuming this would be like, if you do like a web to print No, no I don't completely understand that one either. Here we go. This one makes sense. Send an order from Shopify flow to blocks, block core cognito verification, which I'm assuming is like some kind of a fraud detection thing. The interesting thing about mentioning Shopify flow is that Shopify flow is essential, which is super interesting. I remember seeing that a little while back and it's sort of like in and of itself, it's sort of like a Zapier for Shopify. It's sort of a flexible automation platform. But the fact that they're building this makes me think that, oh, and by the way, look at that 3.9 stars, 13 reviews. That's interesting. I don't understand what the deal is with Shopify flow and I'm, I'm not super deep in the Shopify ecosystem. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to grok it more, but I don't understand why this isn't more widely used. There's gotta be issues with it. But the fact that this exists makes me think that this is, this functionality is not possible to build in Shopify flow itself. So anyways, I'm assuming that this is gonna, this is okay. Identity verification, right? So uh, you want to do, this is a fraud protect, protect, uh, prevention, identity verification thing. So anyways, lots of different examples here that, that kind of sort of show you, although one critique I'll make on this website, I almost want to see categories. I, I do see categories here, but I almost want these blocks to be categories. Cause these are all sort of very similar as I'm trying to sort of wrap my head around 
what this is for. Um, you know, these are all sort of similar. I'd rather see sort of higher level categories. Send a Salesforce lead to Shopify customer, right? So you kind of get the idea. And I can just imagine, you know, as with Zapier, they build out more and more of these integrations and templates um, such that anything you need to do, you can just repurpose an existing template um, to build out automation. So I think that's super interesting. Um, I mean, look, I just talked about uh, in a previous segment, let's do a $5 million fund in the Magento ecosystem. I'd love to see something like this. I'd love to see this type of automation for, um, for Magento, right? I mean, this is super cool. Um, so yeah. Oh, I did have a couple co comments come in, um, from, uh, Carrie. Exactly. Right. Uh, Damien, you could start with GitHub sponsorship for extension devs and do 2.5 million and let Microsoft match the other 2.5 million. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, again, going back to the topic of the idea of a fund, um, that's a great, uh, idea. I love the idea of uh, GitHub getting involved question for Medi is it like if this and that yeah so if this then that is an automation platform like Zapier and Integromat uh, but for yeah exactly it's like if this and that but for e-commerce and specifically it's sort of more code uh, driven so if this then that Zapier all those automation frameworks are all about you don't have to use any code but I think Mesa's approach is um, you can uh, everything is code driven so there's a there's a lot of flexibility in what you need to build um, but I assume if you need to use an existing template that's already been coded, you can use that, I assume, without writing any code because it's already written. So really interesting approach there. That is all I have for you today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was uh, super exciting to do my first uh, LinkedIn live stream. And I uh, hope you have a fantastic uh, rest of your Thursday.